Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. If this is your first time, we want to give a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And we'd like to say we hope it's not your last time. And you could do us a favor by clicking on the digital connection card up here in the corner, letting us know who you are. And if you'd like to leave a prayer request or if you have a question, we might be able to answer. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you. And we're grateful, too, that you found time to spend uh, this time with us here for our online worship experience. It is the second Sunday of Advent, and we do have the church finally uh, outfitted a little bit for this season. I don't know if you noticed last week, if you watched, uh, we just had such a busy week that when I needed to record and provide this uh, online platform for you, uh, we hadn't had time to put the tree up. But thanks to the good work of some volunteers, particularly for Liz and Marlene, our, our friends who we're all about making sure that the trees that have been stuffed away for a year uh, were all fluffed before we put the lights on. So yes, but it does look delightful. And, and as we come to worship, we come with all sorts of gratitude. One, I want to share that we uh, participated this week in Richland Gives and want to celebrate what God did through that. It's a community-wide event. It was Giving Tuesday here locally uh, for all the nonprofits. I think there was 96 of which we were one. We received about $900 in generosity from our friends and even a couple new faces that uh, invested in our mission, and we're so grateful for that. But what's crazy is community-wide, uh, it was more than uh, $503,000 that was raised. And what I think is extraordinary about that is not only the dollar amount, but more particularly is that there were actually uh, increased uh, uh, donors, if you will, which is always the point in these things. And was so delighted that our friends at Love in the Name of Christ, who we partner with for our Pots and Pans ministry, that they actually did some good work and got some new donors and because of that qualified uh, for a couple special grants. So the kingdom can advance in really cool ways. And so just grateful for just your being aware of it and for your, if you did participate and just want to say thank you. And then as we come to worship, we come uh, on this second Sunday of Advent uh, where we celebrate the candle of preparation. Not so long ago, in a barn in Bethlehem, God became flesh and blood in infant son. Jesus Christ, God with us, was born into a family and woven into the fabric of humanity. His family tree is full of colorful characters, just like our own family trees. Some are beautiful and some broken, yet all these branches were used to bring us to the moment when heaven touched earth and began to stitch us into the story. Each generation declares to the next the wonders of God at Christmas. Each one of us can be woven into God's family tree and know this Jesus, Son of Man and Son of God. Join the tradition and hear the story again. We're celebrating the Christmas season here at Linden Road. And as we do that, pushing through the idea of peace. When we think of Christmas, we think of the word peace. And 
as we did last week, we looked at even the question, you know, is peace even possible? And where we centered on this idea that you know, peace isn't found in the absence of our problems, but rather peace, true peace, is found in the presence of God. That that's where perfect peace comes from. And we need to be reminded of what Jesus calls us to is not to be right. He called us to be loving. And even though it's, it's easy to be offended uh, by what we see going on in the world, we're called to be people of love and people who don't take offense, people who are ready to forgive. Now, the truth is, in this current season, right, and you think about where we've been over the last couple of years, it's been a little difficult to love people. And if it was difficult before COVID and before the pandemic, it's even more complicated now just because of all that we've pushed into. It seems like whatever happened in 2020 just like blew it all up at a whole nother level. And then you add to that this time of the year where we are gathering with family and friends uh, and and there's already a a level of relational crazy there. It seems like this season may have just uh, exacerbated it even more. And when we think about what, what we've been through, and that's part of the reason why I'm trying to address this in an intentional way, is we are people of faith. Uh, I really think it's going to be a long time before we really get a handle on the impact of what the global pandemic has done uh, to us as a, as a people, as individuals, but even uh, the, the political and just all the other things, our relational kinds of things. I mean, the truth is, when we think about it, we, we know the physical impact, the number of lives, the hundreds of thousands of lives that were lost, but then the emotional component. And, and then that drives the mental understanding and, and then even the idea of how do we relate to each other. And I can tell you from my involvement in the, in the community and in the culture is that things aren't going well still with people. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of canceling of each other in our relationships because, to be honest, this thing that we find ourselves in, this thing called life, is it's, it's a place where life can really turn quickly and where the t- idea of tensions relationally uh, aren't just far below the surface. I mean, think about it. Think about it again, the idea of having walked through a season of where we couldn't meet. And uh, now that we are in so many different ways, churches are still struggling to find a rhythm of engagement with uh, people who have yet to come back to their building. I think even the idea of the stress of, of working from home, as many people are about back to normal in that regards, but even the number of uh, people that are changing their jobs, you know, the great resignation, they call it, and just know that there's no longevity, it seems like, in, in people's employment tenure. That it, it, they, they move very quickly. And I think those are things below the surface. Again, I'm not a trained uh, therapist, but I think if we talk about just the trauma of having gone through uh, what we've gone through, those things are there. And then you think about just the number of disappointments, all sorts of things. Uh, It seems like there's just one after another. And then you add to that the fact that we used to be in a season where you you were told not to talk about religion and politics. Well, then the whole idea of science got added to that, I think, now. And there's all sorts of disagreements over what the science has to say about certain things. And then when we think about the political tension, and, and I just want to push into this a moment because I think this is the part where in our culture right now, the, the politics, uh, uh, what we've allowed politics to become and what we expect it to do, 
It's interesting, was in part of a conversation, uh, a webinar this week with uh, Albert Tate, who is a pastor from a large church in, uh, on the West Coast. And, and he said this about where we find ourselves currently. He says, the landscape of faith, especially the political landscape, has become so toxic and abusive over recent years that we are just weary. Because of this, I worry that many Christians have taken our cues from culture rather than Christ, so that when it comes to how we live our faith at the table, we look less and less like our Father. And what he means by that, and he talked about it a little bit more in the, the, the webinar, was this idea that, that we're meant to be in relationship with each other. There's supposed to be this beautiful understanding of all of us that are different coming together as the body of Christ and celebrating our differences and also celebrating our unity. And we do that at the table, at the communion table, but even at the meal table where we come together and fellowship as one. And then one of the others that participated in this conversation was Andy Stanley, well-known pastor at North Point Ministries in, in Georgia. Andy says this, until we let go of our infatuation with winning, we will continue to be divided. We will continue responding to culture and change as if we have no choice but to play by the rules of the kingdoms of this world. Consequently, we will continue to be used, leveraged, and ultimately ignored. Now, what's important about this, and we think about Jesus as the model, right? How he was uh, treated when he was mocked or when he was falsely accused or even challenged uh, and even spit on it at, at times. He was able to exercise a, a level of self-control. And in doing that, he it was able to give us an example of what peace can look like. So where we can find peace. Check out this video from the He Gets It campaign about outrage. There was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names. But he never took the bait, never raised his voice, refused to retaliate because he believed he could change the world by turning the other cheek. Now, it's interesting in this understanding that the He Gets Us campaign is trying to help uh, paint in a culture that's becoming less and less Christian. We need to draw on the works of these pastors to help shape how we need to respond to each other in our communities. But then even going back a little bit deeper in the timeline to the great author C.S. Lewis, it's interesting. One of the things that Lewis talks about how we need to be able to walk past uh, dragons. And let me see if I can unpack this. He says, I wrote fairy tales because the fairy tales seemed the ideal form for the stuff I had to say. I thought I saw how stories of this kind could steal past certain inhibition, which had paralyzed much of my own religion in childhood. Why did one find it so hard to feel as one was told one ought to feel about God or about the sufferings of Christ? But supposing that by casting all these things into an imaginary world, stripping them of their stained glass and Sunday school associations, one could make them for the first time appear in their real potency. Could one not thus steal past those watchful dragons? He says, I thought one could. Now, what did he mean by watchful dragons? And where am I going with this? Well, the, the idea is that we, here we are at the celebration once again of Advent, that where we're preparing ourselves for for telling again once to the world that Jesus is coming to celebrate 
him becoming flesh and moving into the neighborhood. So the idea is that when we retell the Christian story in a way that's innovative and maybe even confounding, it can actually strike home with people who are right now closed to the gospel. Now, it's interesting, the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the great series of books that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, it's filled with all sorts of deep theology and all sorts of understanding about ethics and about the imagination. And it's all buried within this child's story. There's a delightful quote that I'm reminded of when they talk about the character of Aslan, the great lion. It said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, Mr. Beaver says. The children have met the beavers, and they're in the beaver's home. And, and there's this dialogue that begins where the beaver talks about how Aslan is a lion. He is the lion. He is the great lion. To which Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe, she asks. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then Mr. Tumnus also says, it's, he's wild, you know, not a tame lion. Now, part of all of this is to help us better tell the Christian story. And I think in a world in which we find ourselves right now, where it seems as though peace is missing in so many different ways, it seems like the telling of this kind of a story, again, is a way for us to engage our friends and neighbors as we get a chance to tell them about the greatest story, the greatest love story that's ever been written. Now, the problem is in our culture, we tend to live always in this state of offense, it seems like right now that there's all this uh, quickness to judgment and condemnation and, and where we're, we get called out uh, foul and, and then where people say, I'm offended. And I want to say this at the outset, that if you're on the look for uh, being offended, you're going to find it. It's, it's going to be right there. And so stop looking for it because there's no winning in life if you're uh, always offended. You can't be productive and you can't make your life any better. Because I want to say this, is this idea of being offended, that it is inevitable. And yet, living offended is a choice. We talked about this last week, about how even happiness is a choice. It's a perspective. And that if we work from the presence of who God is in our life, and we work through what we understand about Scripture, we then can lean into how we need to live our life each day. So as we talk about, is peace possible? What do we do in those moments when, when it's the people around us that are sort of driving us nuts? Now, I want to go to a hard scripture about this because Paul has an answer for us through God's word. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, beginning, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what does Paul say? He starts out saying, bless those who persecute you. Really? I'm not really happy about that statement. Uh, now, this idea of bless, you know, what, where does that word come from? What does he mean? Well, uh, basically, he's, it means to speak well of or to wish the best blessing for someone. 
Well, I don't know about you, but it's really easy to speak well of someone that I like. The problem is the rest of the people, right? The ones I don't like. That's where it gets kind of complicated. And yet we're called to live a different kind of life, or to model a different understanding. Now, it's interesting, as Paul writes to us here in Romans 12, first of all, it's a command. In the Greek language here, it's what they call a present imperative. It's about do and continue to do. And it's like maybe saying it this way, to be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem. Let me say that again, that we need to be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem. Okay, this is going to get complicated, I think, because I think all of us can do this in a moment, right? And it's the first time. But what happens when they come back at it a second time and a third time and a fourth time and, you know, on and on and on? But at the same time, Paul tells us, and so let's back up to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to give some context to what Paul, where he starts from. And he says this, In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now, I want to say, when he talks about worship, he's not just talking about the songs we sing uh, in our worship experiences. He's talking about how we live our lives, how we live each day. And I find it interesting, there's almost a contradiction here with these two words, a living sacrifice. Because when I think about sacrificing something, I don't know, usually that means you're giving something up that's like even the Old Testament animal sacrifices, like the lamb wasn't really exactly coming back from life. But so what does this really mean? Well, it reflects to us what we're supposed to be as, as sons and daughters who are in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in another part of scripture about how we're reminded that we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, it's no longer me, it's no longer I, but it's actually Jesus living in and through me. A little later in uh, chapter 12 of Romans, Paul says this, that we need to live in harmony with one another and not be proud and not to be conceited. Okay, let me say that again, not to be proud and not to be conceited. And if you want to know what the Greek means there, literally, it means, guess what? Not to be proud and not to be conceited. This is where it gets complicated because this plays off of where we've been over the last many months talking about loving God and loving others and just being a witness to the community is that Jesus didn't tell us that we were to be right. He told us that we're to be loving. Uh, and that the truth is that we are known as Christians not because we're right, but because we love with the love of Christ. And then when you think about the offense that's taken maybe in our political conversations, I've heard it said where the idea that there's no liberal that could be a follower of Jesus, or even on the other side where conservatives don't love Jesus because of how they understand their worldview. The problem is our worldview isn't big enough in those matters. And the problem is that we've made politics it's a small view of what God calls us to. And I think, too, in part of why we're even talking about this and why even looking at he gets us as a campaign of why these things should shape how we see each other and the conversations we get to have is that we, we need to stop listening as a people to respond to what's being said and listen to understand that we need to start with this idea of grace that will help us move to an understanding of truth. And so I think here's part of the problem, that if you can't see another perspective, your impact is always going to be limited. I tell you, I've learned so much working with at-risk families. 
because the things that they see in particular, first of all, most of them live in the moment. The idea of planning and thinking about long-term uh, strategies to get to a certain place, many folks don't. And that's part of the, what we call the poverty mindset. And so for us as followers of Jesus, it's really important that we walk in a season of, of being where another person is, not buying into their worldview, but at least having a sense of maybe the word is empathy for where people find themselves. Because when we lean into a conflict, when we have misunderstandings and differences, our brains are biologically designed to protect us. And what I mean by that is many times that we end up making up a story to sort of fill in uh, what we don't understand about the other person. Or maybe let me say it this way, that we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by actions. If I did something to disappoint you, I can give you a reason that you should give me a break. I mean, it's really simple. This is what I was doing, so I need you to giving me a break in this. But if you did something offensive to me, where you were mean and rude and all that, well, that, that's a whole other game. And to be honest, it's a game in which we're living in a world which we need to be reminded on a regular basis that has an enemy, that the evil one is here in a present sort of way to bring about accusations uh, that will actually divide us and that that's what tends to happen, uh, that we, we say about other people that that person is just about themselves or that they don't care or even the idea that we can't trust anyone. And then these accusations, they, they move into uh, where they erode our relationships, where they can split friendships and can even destroy churches. And so where the evil one plays into this is that he wants our story to be based on these, these sort of accusations that we don't measure up and that we don't have what it takes. But see, that's not what God wants for us. And that's the promise and the beauty of what Christmas and Advent means for us as we prepare the way once again of the coming of Jesus, of the coming of God in flesh, in the person, to walk through us in our messiness and to be there with us in that. Now, Paul goes on to say in another book, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And I think maybe one way of saying this is that our lives are too short and what we're called to be is too great to allow something small to offend us. Think about it this way. What if Jesus was easily offended in the Gospel of Matthew uh, when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount? He could say to Matthew, man, you guys didn't pay any attention to me. You didn't pay any attention to that sermon I just gave. Or the story of the ten lepers, or how they're healed and and nine didn't stop to come back and say thank you, right? Or the idea of Thomas, uh, the doubter, when he sees the miracles that take place, uh, the raising of the dead, that he doesn't offer Jesus a compliment. It's like, really? But that's not where, where Jesus lived. He realized, first of all, that being offended is going to happen. It is inevitable. But living with that offense is a choice. Again, Drawing on the Old Testament book of Proverbs, the writer says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, I want to say for sure that overlooking offenses, uh, it isn't the same thing as pretending it didn't happen. That actually what I'm talking about is you can understand that it took place, but it's a conscious decision that you make to let it go. It's actually a form of forgiveness. 
of where we forgive what the other person has done to us. Now, it's interesting, this word overlook, which is uh, the Hebrew word for that is avor. It means basically to pass over. And so instead of focusing on the offense, instead of dwelling and replaying and magnifying, that we choose to pass over it and basically say, I'm over it. Even the idea of the Old Testament Passover, right? This idea of overlooking about how God sent the angel of death. But if there was blood on the doorpost of the home, the angel of death went on and uh, that family uh, lived. So it's a choice. It's a choice of obedience and doing what God asks us to do. Somebody says something to us, something that's passive and aggressive, a comment of some sort, that we basically are over it. If somebody corrects our kids, coach or a family member, that we, we sort of walk through with an understanding that we're over it. Or if our spouse or our, our friend gripes about how we drive or how we chew our gum or even how we do the dishes, that we don't show offense to it, we, we, that we're over it. Because at the end of the day, what we need to see is this idea of love, that love doesn't seek to win the argument, that what love does is seeks to protect the relationship that forgiveness takes place in real time, and that we have to choose to let go. Again, Paul says back in Romans 12, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So again, what I wanna offer is we prepare for the coming of Jesus again at this Christmas season, is to be reminded that our, our life is too short, and that what we've been called to be as his sons and daughters is too great and that we need to allow offense to be something very small in our life that most of the time when we get offended it really is in the small stuff and to be reminded too that being offended is part of our lives but living offended is a choice that we make and so we need to be people of the way that model for others how to live life in community because again Jesus didn't tell us to be right. He told us to love one another. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the life you've given us, and we're grateful for having sent Jesus in the flesh to walk amongst us. And so as we celebrate this second Sunday of Advent, as we prepare our hearts for the coming of him again, may we, through the Holy Spirit, better understand how to live a life of intentionality and a life that will allow others to see all that you offer in and through us. And we pray it through the strong name of Jesus. Amen.